Now, Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro receives her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom. For Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer. For he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal meal with Moses' father-in-law in in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I'll give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring very difficult, every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands you, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. 
He, cho he chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Thank you, Debbie. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, it's wonderful to be able to gather as your people, uh, forgiven through Jesus Christ, and now to listen to this story preserved for us through the Holy Spirit, preserved for us, and so we ask that you'd arrest our minds, you'd grip our hearts, and you'd transform us to be faithful and obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. What we have had just read is a brilliant story. Strange. Strange, right? Because it comes as a sort of pause in the larger story between the heights of, on the one hand, the whole exodus from Egypt, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the wanderings in the desert, the water from the rock, from that epic grandeur, and then where we're going next week, Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, thunder and lightning on top of the mountain. And then today, between these giant mountains, we have this kind of valley, this um, quaint story, a conversation between Moses and his father-in-law in his tent. Why is this here? It's a brilliant chapter. It's the perfect uh, chapter for a pastor to preach on just before community carols. Because in the first half, there's a great example of evangelism, right? Moses sharing with his foreign father-in-law all that the Lord has done and his father-in-law becoming a believer. And in the second half, it talks about the necessity of delegation. <laughs> bing, bing, perfect. Perfect before carols. Get us revved up for evangelism, the need for everyone to be involved, delegation, all right? I just want to say I didn't plan for this to be on this week, right? It just... Um, <laughs> why, but why is it here, right? Well, chapter 18 is here because chapter 18 comes before chapter 19. Profound, I know, but chapter 19 is a bobby dazzler. Um, chapter 19 describes the purpose that God gives to his people. And all of us want to know, what's the point in life? What's the purpose? Why am I here? Why didn't, when I become a Christian, Jesus just zap me up to heaven or I drop dead and go to glory? Why has Jesus not come back? What's the purpose for our existence? Well, here's the answer. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The purpose of life given to the people of God by God is for us to be a kingdom of priests. Now, what does that mean? What's a priest? A priest is that middleman, that mediator between God and people. Uh, someone who brings people to God through prayers, through offerings, and they bring God to people by making him known, by teaching. According to God, his people were to be a kingdom of priests. They were to have that priestly role to the nations of the world. Now, on the whole, Israel failed in that role. 
Now, through Christ, that role belongs to believers in Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it explains this and it picks up all that language from Exodus 19. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is the role. That's the purpose for the people of God, to have that priestly role in, in relation to everyone in the world who doesn't yet know him. This was a role first described in Exodus chapter 19. That's chapter 19. The purpose of chapter 18 in our story with Moses and Jethro is to show us a real life personal example of how to do that, okay? And this is brilliant. It shows us how to be priests to everyone who doesn't yet know God. Here is a non-Israelite man, Jethro, encountering one of God's people, Moses. And Moses explains to him of God, and then Jethro helps Moses effectively lead God's people in their priestly role to the nations. So that theme of being a priest actually follows right through, that's the thread running through this story. The eye-popping thing about this particular uh, chapter, chapter 18, is that in the Bible, did you know, this is the first ever recorded case of evangelism. Did you know that? Evangelism is telling the good news of what God has done to save his people. Well, in Exodus chapter 1 to 17, God has saved his people. And here is the first recorded conversation of that story now being retold to someone who is not one of God's people. And this makes Moses the first ever recorded evangelist, and it makes Jethro the first ever recorded convert. Isn't that amazing? This is really big. Now, if you're here and you're just checking out Christianity, this has relevance for you because it tells you how you can come to know the living God. So that's big. And if you're here and you already know God, it tells us lots about how to connect in a saving way with people who don't yet know him. And if you say, well, I've tried that, but all I've met with is hostility, we'll still need to remember that's only one reaction to people hearing of God. That was the reaction of Amalek, who was another, another non-Israelite. His story we skipped over at the end of chapter 17. His reaction to the people of God was war. And sometimes it's like that, isn't it? Well, that's a tragic reaction because for Amalek, God said at the end of chapter 17, I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And that's a kind of preview of what will happen on the day of judgment to people who remain entrenched in their hostility towards the Lord. So warfare is one reaction, hostility, but we need to remember that's only one reaction because here in chapter 18 is a chapter for our encouragement and it's a different reaction and that is worship. In verse 1, we discover that Jethro was a priest of Midian. Now, Midian wasn't Israel. They didn't worship the Lord. He is, in other words, a pagan priest. He is not a worshipper of the Lord. And yet, by verse 11, he is completely transformed. And so he speaks personally and he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Isn't that extraordinary? His whole professional life, he's been a priest of foreign gods, and through one conversation, he does a complete U-turn, 
And he turns his back on his professional life now because he's acknowledged that it's wrong to worship the gods of Midian. Why? Because the Lord is greater than all other gods. I think that's amazing. Now, of course, it's a miracle of grace whenever anyone comes to that realisation, but particularly, it's, there's something wonderful about when an older person comes to faith because them coming to faith in, um, means them saying, "All I now realise that all up and in my life, up until this moment, I have been wrong. You know, the gods whom I've been serving, what I've given myself to serving throughout my life, it's been a mistake because there is no other greater God than the Lord. He tops them all. But now, now I realise this. Um, there's now someone far, far greater to give my life to. It's an amazing thing. That is the conviction that Jethro comes to. It causes him not only to speak, verse 11, but also to worship in burnt offerings and sacrifices, verse 12. And then at the end of verse 12, he enters into a fellowship meal with God's people in God's very presence. In other words, this is a wonderful picture of conversion. So what was it that brought about this extraordinary change? Now that's worth looking into, isn't it? I mean, if you're someone who's here looking into the Christian faith, or if you're someone concerned about friends and family who yet don't know God, this is of great importance. How does a pagan end up testifying to the greatness of God? Well, let's learn from the first evangelist. The answer is not rocket science. The answer is that Moses shared a personal testimony to the living God. That is, uh, he shared what he himself knew to be true about the Lord his God. He didn't just say, here's what Hebrew people believe. He said, here's what I know is real and is true. And that is a lot more compelling to speak from your own gut conviction and knowledge. His personal testimony comes out in several ways. You see it in the way in which he names his sons, verses 3 and 4. Now, usually, when parents pick names for their kids, they do it because, basically, they sound nice and they probably won't be ridiculed at school with that name, or we hope. All right. Generally, we don't pick names like Gershom or Eliezer. Any Gershoms here today? Strangely, no. All right, Moses picks these names because they would remind everyone around him that he was someone who trusts in God. You got any sons, Moses? Yeah. What are their names? Well, Gershom, because I have become an alien in a foreign land. Moses lived, of course, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian. So he's an Israelite, but he's never actually set foot in Israel. Right? That's, of course, the nation of Israel doesn't yet exist. It only exists as a promise that God made Abraham 400 years earlier. Where's your home, Moses? Let me introduce my son, Gershom. I am an alien in a foreign land, and I trust God's promises. My real home is yet to come. See, Moses died, of course, without ever entering the promised land. He only ever saw it at a distance. But he lived his life with in the faith that his home was with God and in his promises, which is the same for us. How did you keep going all these years, Moses? How did you keep put up with all the hardships? Well, have you met my second son, Eliezer? God is my helper. 
For my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. These names were living testimony to Moses' experience and his faith in God. So he lived it deeply. But Moses' testimony was not just in his sons, but also in his speech. Verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law all that God had done. Now that is a definition of evangelism. Evangelism is telling the news of what God has done to save his people. That's what evangelism is. I'll tell you what it's not. It's not just sharing opinion. Oh, this is what I think. You know, true for me, but it may not be true for you. No, no, no. Evangelism is sharing news, not opinion, news of what God has done to save us. Um, And sharing news is not an imposition. You know, no one who sits down at nighttime news says, how dare they impose this news on me? (laughs) You know, it's news, right? It's sharing what has happened in the world. That is the essence of Christian evangelism. It's sharing the news of what God has done in history through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's sharing the news. It's not bad news that we're imposing upon other people. The news that we have is really good news. Now, uh, it took probably about 45 years for this to sink in for me, to be honest, because I was wondering why I was so reluctant in sharing the gospel with my neighbours. And then I realised that I was feeling inadequate about the gospel because I thought it would be bad news. I would be interrupting their life. They were sort of going along quite well, thank you, without God. And then who was I to interrupt them with an opinion about what was true? Well, I had it wrong on a whole number of fronts. The gospel is not me imposing my opinion. It's sharing news, which is an opinion. And it's not sharing bad news. It's me sharing good news. of what's happened. Uh, It's the news that God has done something to save people. Look at verse eight. Moses shared the news of all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Now note this. The news of what God had done for Israel wasn't just good news for Israel. Because if it was only good news for Israel, he wouldn't have told Jethro. The news of what God had done to save his people is actually good news for those who aren't yet his people. Because potentially, it's the news of what God has done to save them. With my neighbours, I realised I'd been thinking about it all wrong. I hadn't been thinking of the gospel as good news for them. I, I thought it was good news for me, but I thought I'd be kind of interrupting and imposing bad news. But no, no, no. It's good news for them. It would be like, you know, if I had the news that they had won the lottery and they didn't realise it, would I feel bad about sharing that news with them? Uh, No. Okay. It's good news. Did you realise you won the lottery? You know, it's yours. This is better than that because Jesus has won eternal salvation for everyone who believes. It is great news to share for other people. It's their good news. Good news for them, not just us. And um, we can share that the gospel, they have a saviour. His name is Jesus. They need to accept him. So the gospel is good news for the world. We ought not to feel bad in sharing it. And since realising that, I've become much more bold. Moses shares the news of what God has done to save his people. And that message 
turns Jethro into a worshipper of God. He, Moses speaks. Now, sometimes we miss this. Sometimes we think that we can do evangelism without actually speaking. And you may have heard that statement that sort of goes around Christian websites, preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. Have you seen that one? And it's, it's meant to be a corrective to Christians who live different lives and they say one thing but don't live it out. And, you know, you've got to back up what you say by... But there's an untruth. There's an untruth in that. It's, it's, it's suggesting that we can share the gospel without ever opening our mouths. Um, at some point, someone actually has to share the news. And the reason is this, that no matter how godly a life or loving a life or consistent a life you live in connection with Jesus' teachings, no one from looking at you can infer the gospel. They can't go, oh, now I realize that there is a God who loves me and he has sent a savior into the world and his name is Jesus Christ and he lived that perfect life that we haven't lived to bridge that gap between God so that when he dies on the cross he can give his life as a substitute for me and then he rises again as the Lord of glory so that on the day he returns I don't actually need to fear judgment. You can't infer that from just watching someone, right? It actually has to be shared. Okay, Paul in Romans Chapter 10 says, how can they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they haven't heard? They can't. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? As it is written, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Or in Ephesians, Paul says, you yourselves were included in Christ. Now when? When? When you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. So the gospel, you see, is a message which cannot be inferred. It must be heard. I kind of like that. You could write that down. I I thought of that. That was good. All right. (laughs) Now, for us, the gospel we share is no longer the news, of course, of what God has done for the Israelites, but what God has done for us through Jesus' death and resurrection. However, The beauty about the story of the Exodus, which we've been covering, is that it gives us a a kind of tapestry, a a setting to understand the cross. You know, someone dies on a cross and you think, oh, sad for them. But understanding the story of the Exodus places that against this majestic backdrop of a huge story of redemption and deliverance. Okay, and it helps us to understand that what's going on at the cross involves rescue and deliverance and, of course, also judgment. Now, of course, that's the hard bit, isn't it? We shy away from sharing that, but I want you to look at verse 11. And there we see, you see, it's God's judgment on the enemies of God's people that wins Jethro over. Verse 11, he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. So rather than the news of God's judgment on the Egyptians being the thing that offended Jethro, that was actually the news which opened Jethro's eyes to God. For us, what that means is when we talk about God, we must not shy away from the cross. Because, of course, yes, on the one hand, the cross is saying God judges human sin, but on the other hand, at the same time, it's saying, and here is the way out. 
through Jesus. Now, friends, that is our news. That's the great act of deliverance. God has judged our sin. Through Jesus' death, he has paid for our forgiveness. Through his sacrifice, he has given us life. This is the great act of redemption. And that, therefore, the cross should always be on our lips. It's what Moses speaks about, the, the judgment through which God brought salvation for his people. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. But he didn't just share about that. Verse 8. He also shared about all the hardships that they'd met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. That is, in telling the story, he didn't just tell the act of redemption. He told them how God had sustained them in faith since then. And that's really significant. You know, we don't go to heaven as soon as you believe in Jesus. We don't enter the promised land as soon as we're redeemed. When God redeemed the Israelites, he took them first through the desert. And that journey involved deprivation and testing and hardship. And yet, Moses' story is that at the very same time as all that was going on, the Lord was with them. And he was providing for them, and he was guiding for them, and he was sustaining them. Moses didn't shy away from telling that life has been difficult. He's a realist. He admits life's hardships, but then he testifies that however bad things have become, the Lord God was always there for them and with them. And so, you see, for the Christian person, you know, sharing our difficulties and how God's been with us is a wonderful thing because our difficulties actually can be the very arena through which God speaks of himself to people who don't know him. You know, maybe you haven't thought about that, that the way in which God can be clearly seen is in his people believing in him through the toughest of times. And that can be the means through which God points people to Christ. So if you're going through a wilderness wandering at the moment, if you're going through a hard time, if you've been suffering testing in the desert and you've been around the blocks now quite a few times, being able to share how God, despite that testing, has been with you is very powerful. Well, that's what Moses is about. This is what Moses shared with Jethro. Let's look at Jethro's response, verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. Isn't that interesting? He was delighted. Why do we keep sharing the gospel? Why do we do it when there's constant opposition and hostility? Well, because we know that this is the one message which can truly bring joy. This is the news which can actually make nations glad. Jethro, the former pagan priest, bursts into praise. He says, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, including my own. Now, do these sorts of conversions happen today? I must confess, I don't know too many pagan priests in Australia, but I did meet one in India. 
2013, I was there with Andrew Severin. We were right down on the southern tip of India and we were teaching the book of Ephesians to a group of pastors there. Well, on the last day, um, one of the discussion groups, the man who was leading it from the city, he found out that one of the old guys in his group had been converted from the Brahmin caste. That's, if you know nothing about the Hindu caste system, it's the highest one, that's where the Hindu priests come from. And six months earlier, he'd become a Christian. He's a Jethro, right? Um, we discovered that on the last day, uh, he, well, he said in the group, you know, I believe in Jesus, but no one has ever told me that I have eternal life. He's here learning about Ephesians, right? He, 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 didn't, he didn't have assurance. No one had ever told him. And Mike, the guy who was from the city who was running the group, said, well, what's your attitude to Jesus? He said, well, I'll die for him. He said, well, he's your Lord. You have eternal life. His big smile broke out on his face. Here's the amazing thing. He was a man who was at this course with his wife and 18-year-old son. They were learning Ephesians for a week so that they could commence a ministry sharing the gospel to the Brahmin caste, where the Hindu priests are from. Now, that will involve cost. And it was such a privilege to meet a man like that. A Jethro, who was thoroughly converted. Praise God. It still happens. Through the story of Moses and Jethro, God is reminding us of the priestly role that God has given us to bring God to the nations and the nations to God through the sharing of the gospel. That is our role. Okay, that's the first half of the chapter. I'm going to speed up very quickly <laughs> and in a couple of minutes just do the second half. The next day, Jethro watches Moses at work, single-handedly sorting out Israel's squabbles. And Jethro, the wise father-in-law, looks at Moses, his inexperienced son-in-law, who's 80 years old, and uh, says, Moses, this is crazy. You are on a fast track to burning yourself out. You cannot do it alone. You need to delegate. You need to delegate the easier tasks out to those whom you can trust, and you need to take the harder cases. Jethro speaks with wisdom. Moses listens to his father-in-law and then the whole organisational life of the people of God is changed from that point on. It's very practical advice, isn't it? But why is it here? Well, you might say, well, it's here to help us realise how, how to organise church or something like that. Remember the thread? It's the priestly thread that runs through these stories leading to our role as priests to the nations. That's why this story is here. Now, partly, partly it's to point us to Jesus as the one priest who really is the gospel to the nations. You see, Moses had a unique role. The whole reason why he had to delegate was because there were some things only he could do. There were other things other people could do, but some things only he could do. And verse 19 he needed to be that man who represented the people to God. And in verse 20, he needed to be that man who represented God to the people by teaching them the word of God and applying it to their lives. He had a unique role. And this reminds us of Jesus' unique role. 
1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, says there is one God and only one mediator between God and people, the man Christ Jesus. So although we are a kingdom of priests, there is, in one sense, a truth that Jesus is the only priest. Okay, only he can really be the complete middleman between people and God. However, other people were involved by being delegated tasks, weren't they? So here's the second reason. God, I think, put this delegation bit here and the evangelism bit before it in chapter 18 to tell us how we are to fulfill our role to be priests to the world. Both parts are necessary. You know, I don't know what's going on in your head at the moment. You might be thinking, <laughs> I hear the evangelism bit, but you don't know me. I am timid. I'm not a natural evangelist. I'm not like Billy Graham. I'm not like John Piper. Guess what? Very few people are. You know, if you were to number, oh, sorry, list the, the key evangelists in the world at the moment, could you get more than one or two? You know, very few people are. But here's the thing, neither was Moses. He wasn't eloquent. He's described in the book of Numbers as being a very humble man. In Exodus 4, he says, I am of slow speech and tongue. He probably had a stutter. And yet this story is here to remind us that God can use, if God can use someone as evangelistically challenged as Moses, of course he can use you and me. And the point of the delegation bit is to remind us that bringing God to the nations isn't a solo job. It's not a one-man show. You know, it's not just for the evangelist or the pastor. It involves all of God's people. Carols is a brilliant example, really, when you think about it. Uh, we can only put it on if everyone plays a part. I can't do it all. Uh, have you heard me sing? It's disastrous. Uh, the band has been working hard. But they can't do it all. They can't bring people along. Uh, they can't do all the activities beforehand. Uh, they can't do the sound. They can't do the setup as well and the pack up. But actually, it involves everyone. Uh, it's not a one person show. But together, because God has made us to be a kingdom of priests, we can do it. And that's our purpose. That's our reason for existing, in fact. Uh, that's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. That's why Jesus didn't zap us straight to heaven when we first believed. It was that we would do our job. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We, by God's grace, are God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. What a massive privilege, isn't it? What a massive privilege. It's a sterling privilege. It is, isn't it? Father in heaven, may we function as your body to be that kingdom of priests, to bring you to the nations, to bring you to the people in the hills and the people in the hills to you. For your glory, 
exalt your son through us. Amen.